Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. Let's interrupt our series narrative to address an important but contentious issue in the world of history. A historic monument torn down during the statue toppling craze a couple years ago was recently melted down. They said these statues would go to museums. What happened? Let's find out about this divisive topic from the Daily Wire. A beautiful historic monument torn down during the statue toppling frenzy a couple years ago was just melted down and they filmed it in some kind of bizarre humiliation ritual. They told us that these statues would go to museums, but that was never the plan. For nearly a century, a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee stood in Charlottesville, Virginia. In 1997, it was listed on the National Register of Historic Places, which meant that at the time, and this again was in the 90s, so not all that long ago, It was considered worthy of preservation for both its historical significance and its artistic value. Little over 20 years later, in the midst of public hysteria over the overdose death of a criminal drug addict in Minneapolis, that 100-year-old work of art, which was supposed to be preserved, was instead torn down and, we were told, moved to a museum. Well, last week, the museum, in a symbolic humiliation ritual, melted the statue down and destroyed it. It will now be repurposed as an inclusive arts display. This is how we treat our art and our historic monuments these days. It's especially how we treat historical figures like Robert E. Lee. But it wasn't always this way. Going back now to the early to mid-19th century, for more than three decades during that span, Robert E. Lee served as an officer in the U.S. military. He graduated from West Point, went on to play a key role in the Mexican-American War, which is a war that isn't talked about very much these days, even though it changed the country forever. And at the end of it, Mexico ceded a lot of territory, including California, Utah, Nevada, a lot of what we now call Arizona, New Mexico, and Colorado. And Lee's role in that victory earned him a series of major promotions. He was eventually named the superintendent of West Point, which was the military academy he once attended. Just a few years after Lee left that post, the state of Virginia, where Lee was born, seceded from the Union. And at that point, Lee had a decision to make. Okay, He could accept a post with the Union Army leading the Union Army, in fact, which was offered to him by Lincoln, or he could defend his home state, which if he decided to take the other option and to join the Union, then he would be marching against his state, his community, his family, even his own sons. It would mean taking up the sword against his own family. Now, even though Lee was no great fan of either slavery or the idea of secession, he chose to defend his state and his family instead. In the end, he felt a greater loyalty to his state and to his community and to his family than he did to the federal government. And back in those days, that's how a lot of people felt. He resigned from the U.S. military, joined the Confederacy, and won some of the most pivotal battles of the war, often when he was up against very long odds. After the war, Lee became a college professor, and he worked to unify the North and South until his death. He was remembered across political lines for many, many decades as both an ingenious tactician and a man of principle and faith. Churchill called him one of the best generals in history. Dwight D. Eisenhower, the president of the United States and former commander of Allied forces in Europe during World War II, had this to say about Robert E. Lee. I think uh, there are a good many of you people here, both photographers and and, uh, representatives of the press, have been going into my office for the past four and a half years, occasionally. No doubt you've noticed that on the wall there are the prints of four men. Men that I consider, in my book, are uh, about the four top Americans of the past. They are Franklin, Washington, Lincoln, and Lee. And anybody who ever tries to put me in any other relationship with respect to General Lee is mistaken. (laughs) 
Now, a few years later, a dentist wrote to Eisenhower and uh, wrote him a letter demanding to know why he had that picture of Robert E. Lee in his office. And this is part of Eisenhower's response. He said, quote, he believed unswervingly in the constitutional validity of his cause, which until 1865 was still an arguable question in America. He was a poised and inspiring leader. From deep conviction, I simply say, a nation of men of Lee's caliber would be unconquerable in spirit and soul. Now, for the next few decades, most Americans agreed with that assessment. In the 90s, we had movies venerating Robert E. Lee, starring Martin Sheen, and nobody lost their minds over it. The Lee statue and statues like it stood in town squares all over the country, especially in the South. It wasn't an issue. They weren't vandalized. There were no angry mobs demanding their removal. Most people, including those who certainly cannot be described as Confederate sympathizers, recognized that the Civil War was fought at a different time, in a different era, and there were noble men on either side. That's how most people viewed it for decades and decades. But somewhere along the line, in just the past few years, everything changed. Statues of Robert E. Lee and anyone like him had to come down, we were told. They had to come down right away. There was no time to talk about it. There was no time to debate. You weren't allowed to debate. In fact, you weren't even allowed to express any of the viewpoints that nearly everyone held for a 100 years before that. These statues were not a problem for a 100 years. But in the last 100 seconds, they became a problem. And it was our duty to simply watch as they were all toppled and carried away. Now, already, if you're a perceptive and insightful person, you might ask yourself, was this a sign of progress? Was this a good sign when we started going around and had angry mobs tearing down all these statues that had been there for a century and nobody complained and then all of a sudden we had to take them on? Was this a sign that things were heading in a good direction in our country? Were we a better country back when a man like Robert E. Lee was widely respected? Or will we a better country when we decided that we could not have any acknowledgement of him in any public place? Which version of the country was better? Which version of the country had greater racial harmony? Was it the one back in the 90s when Robert E. Lee's statues were being preserved as historic monuments? Or the one in the 2020s? What do you think? Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Now, to make the contrast even more clear, the media did not elevate voices as articulate as Churchill or Eisenhower to make the case against the Robert E. Lee monuments. Instead, they thrust BLM activists like Zayana Bryant in our faces. And here was her argument. This is from two years ago, talking about this same monument. Zayana, I know you've heard this argument before. I'm hoping that you could go ahead and tell critics who feel like removing the statue is whitewashing history and a section of our history that we should be engaging with. And by removing it, we're acting as though it didn't happen or we're trying to erase a section of our history. What do you say to those folks? I would say actually erecting these monuments is whitewashing our history. 
at the time of emancipation, Charlottesville and the surrounding area was majority Black. And you don't see that narrative by having Confederate monuments standing in the center of parks, towering over whole communities. What you see is a romanticized version of the South. You see memorabilia that makes people feel good about the Civil War. But it doesn't tell the story of the South losing. It doesn't tell the story of the Confederacy falling. And so I think that we cannot erase history. We can't edit it. In fact, history already happened. So people can Google, people can use textbooks. There are many other resources. There are whole museums that teach people about those legacies and about the history of what happened here. But what I think we're doing with removing these statues is we're no longer offering a platform for white supremacy. And I think that by deplatforming and decentering those harmful narratives that perpetuate violence and that perpetuate oppression is one of the most powerful things that we can do. My Lord. So again, ask yourself, Are we a better country when people like that, when their arguments are prevailing, or when we're listening to Dwight D. Eisenhower and Churchill and those guys? She says the monument was supposed to make people feel good about the Civil War. What? Is that what you think monuments are meant to do? Nobody feels good about the Civil War. What do you mean feels good about it? When have you ever heard that opinion expressed? What do you think about the Civil War? Oh, yeah, I felt great about it. I feel really great. I'm I'm happy. I feel good. That doesn't even make any sense. The monuments don't exist to make us feel good about the wars that they are remembering. But they do exist to remember because these are events that we should remember. Let's listen to the argument again that Zayana Bryant was making two years ago on behalf of BLM. She's supposedly not objecting to the existence of the statue of Robert E. Lee, at least not explicitly. Instead, she's saying that it doesn't belong in a prominent public place, that it shouldn't stand in the center of parks towering over whole communities. She insists that there are, quote, whole museums that people can go to if they want to see statues like this one. Maybe people can even Google pictures of the statue if they're so inclined. Now, whatever the case, the argument was that BLM isn't trying to erase history or denigrate this nation's heroes or mock white people for honoring one of the most brilliant generals in the history of the country. No, they're not doing any of that. They're just trying to put everything in its proper historical context. The Lee statue doesn't tell the story of the Confederacy failing, she complains. As if the role of a statue is to explain 19th century history in detail. There were a lot of black people in Virginia, she goes on to say, and and Lee was not black. And therefore, this statue needs to come down and go to a museum where it belongs. Now, none of that made any sense at the time. Unless, of course, the goal was never to move the statue of Robert E. Lee, but instead to destroy it entirely. If that was the intent, then everything just went according to plan. As I said at the top, activists and university faculty members, with the help of local legislators, just melted down the statue of Robert E. Lee in secret in an undisclosed location. After saying for years that they just wanted to move it to a museum, what they forgot to mention is that the museum they move it to is then going to take it and destroy it. Join me next time for the conclusion of this controversial expose on preserving history. If you want to share your opinion regarding this debatable subject, join me and other history lovers on my social media platforms or at markvinet.com. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss 
Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calotrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calotrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605.